one of the most dramatic moments, certainly in the Bible, but maybe even in all of human history, took place in an environment that's often referred to as the upper room. It was towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and many of you would know this story. Essentially, his disciples were coming to Jerusalem and they were going to celebrate Passover together. Passover was a kind of festival and included a remembrance meal. The Jewish people would get together and remember what had happened hundreds of years earlier when the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery and they'd had their last meal in Egypt. And the next morning they were all going to get up and go and walk out of Egypt. You see, they'd been in Egypt for 400 years as a group of people. All they had known their whole history as a nation was that they were slaves. They had prayed and prayed to their God and for 400 years their prayers seemingly went unanswered. But God finally sent them a deliverer, Moses. And Moses says to them, tomorrow we're leaving. And tonight an angel of death, as it was referred to, is going to pass over the land of Egypt and kill every single firstborn of every single family that does not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So the Israelites slaughtered a lamb, had a meal, put the blood on their doorposts. And that night, the angel of death passed over the land of Egypt. And the next morning, the Pharaoh, broken, said, you may go now. That was the last meal. That was the last supper. That was the last time that the Israelite families gathered in Egypt. And the next day, they packed up everything they owned, plus everything the Egyptians had given them. The Bible says they loaded them up with wealth and they left Egypt and headed to what would be known as the promised land. Now, 1400 years after that event, Jesus is going to gather with his disciples to have this Passover remembrance meal. They had done this before, but this was different. There'd been a time when they'd gathered for the Passover meal and things had been great because Jesus was a star. Jesus was a celebrity, a cultural icon. Thousands of people gathered to hear him speak. And the disciples were feeling like, hey, we're on the left and right hand side of this guy. And there's a lot of momentum and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and the miracles are getting bigger and better. And but as they were about to gather for this last supper, things weren't going well. The momentum had turned around. There was rumours that there was a group of people trying to arrest Jesus and trying to isolate him from the crowd, get him alone and arrest him and accuse him of all kinds of things. The disciples knew that if Jesus went down, they would go down with him. Then here he is and he begins to talk about his death and he talked about being taken and, and they sort of just filtered all that out because in their way of thinking, much like our way of thinking, is if God is with us and if God is working with you and if God is moving around you, then things are going to get better because wherever God show up, shows up, things get better, right? Whenever God shows up, there's more certainty, not less certainty. So they're going to Jerusalem and Jesus says, when I go to Jerusalem, things are going to get really, really bad. And of course, they're like us and they ask, so why are we going there? It was as if he had a death wish. It was as if he was going to walk right into the jaws of death. Things are going to be bad when we get to Jerusalem. Follow me. So they get to the outskirts of Jerusalem and they stop. and They wait for the sun to set. And Jesus sends two of them into town to meet this mysterious man who takes them to a mysterious place. And somehow Jesus has prearranged Passover, but he never told his disciples about it because this was the time when he wasn't even sure he could trust them. And as it turns out, he couldn't. He didn't want anyone to know where they would be because they would be isolated from the crowds and vulnerable. So they sneak into Jerusalem under the cover of night. Not a big celebration, not people shouting, not all of the other things they'd experienced in the past. They sneak into Cerebellum under the cover of night and they go to this home and they go upstairs and they gather in this upper room and it was just strange. 
There was no certainty. And if that wasn't bad enough, Jesus begins the conversation this way. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 14, if you want to follow along, verse 17. It says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, He said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Literally, He says, one of you is going to hand me over. And nobody in the room raised their hand and said, hand you over to who? They already knew the answer to that question. The momentum had shifted. Things weren't going well. One, he says, who is eating with me. This kind of punctuates the insult for their their most intimate setting possible in that culture was to eat with someone, much like eating with someone in our culture. It would be like having someone in your home and saying, by the way, I know you're going to betray me soon. They were saddened and disappointed. And one by one, they said to him, surely not I, surely not I. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. You know, the Bible, this book is full of stories and narratives written and taken place in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty. In fact, as we face uncertainty like we've never faced it before, this is the perfect place to run. This is not a book about rich, successful people having fun. This isn't a book about things were great on Monday and then on Tuesday they went even better. You got a new job and Wednesday you got a raise and Thursday you got a bonus and and then your kids went to university on some scholarship. Those kinds of wrinkle-free life things, those happily ever after, those no divorce in the land type things, it's not in here. Every single narrative, every single passage, every single thing that we, we draw hope and security from, all those come from troubled times, from the lives of people who discovered that in the midst of uncertainty, God was still certain. In the midst of uncertainty, when you couldn't even trace God's hand, where it seemed like He was absent, they discovered that God was still trustworthy. If there is ever a time for us to pick this up and read it, it's right now. It's in here we find a story about the teenage Joseph in the Old Testament who who finds himself at the bottom of a well and above he hears his brothers having conversations. Should we sell him or should we kill him? I don't know. Let's sell him. No, let's kill him. Now, I realise you may have some sibling rivalry at your home and there may be some issues at home, maybe over a big thing like an inheritance or maybe over a smaller thing like she wore my shirt and didn't iron it and threw it back onto the bed. Joseph is at the bottom of a well. Do we sell him or do we kill him? And when we read the story and we discover the essence of it, we, we, we find out, believe it or not, that God was actually with Joseph and had an amazing plan for his life. In here, we also read a story about King David who would eventually, eventually the Messiah would come from his lineage. And, and I know you may have problems with your kids, but David is awakened one day to discover that his son had raised an army and is about to invade the capital city to conquer him as king and to replace him as king. And when we read that story, we still discover that God was in the middle of that and he was with David. Then there's the story about a mother who had a baby son. She was told that Pharaoh had decided to murder all the baby boys because there were too many Israelites in the land. And so his mother wraps up her newborn son puts him in a basket and pulls him out to the river, to the Nile River, as if to say, well, if it's between the crocodiles and those Egyptian butchers, I will take my chances with the river. And we read the story and we discover that God was there and that little baby was found and they named him Moses and he became the deliverer of the nation. 
But before she knew the end of the story, where was God in that? And then the reflection or foreshadowing of another baby that would be rescued from a similar fate as Mary and Joseph discovered that Herod in his jealousy of his kingdom, working under the guise of a rumour that had been spread that there was a baby being born that would grow up to be a Jewish king. He decides instead of trying to find the baby to just wipe out the entire generation of Jewish little boys. And he sends his butchers into Bethlehem and the surrounding area and murdered every single baby. And so they escaped to all places back to Egypt to save the baby Jesus. And when we read that story, we discover that God was right there in the middle of all that. That God somehow still had the whole world in His hands. Every single story where it seems like things have spun out of control, all the momentum is backwards momentum and all God's activity has ceased and all the bad guys have won and all the evil kings are winning and the gods of the pagan empires had won. When we read those stories, we discover that in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty, there's God and nothing has changed and He's still got the whole world in His hands. Mark 14, 22, Jesus, Jesus is taking the bread. He says, and while they were there, Jesus took the bread. And I'm telling you, this sucked the, the life right out of the, the, these guys when he says this. He says, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, oh yeah, by the way, this isn't what you think. You've been eating the Passover meal since you were children. But from now on, when you eat it, this is my body, Jesus said. This is my body that's been broken from you for you. What do you mean this is your body? Is this all this death talk again? This is all negativity. I don't want to hear about it. If you're from God, then things should turn around. If you're from God, there needs to be more certainty, not less. But he goes on, the Bible goes on to say, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drink from it. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And he foreshadows what's going to take place hours later when he's going to be nailed on a cross and die in front of their very eyes. And they leave that room and they are going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he eventually is arrested along the way and the news got worse. But in verse 27, it says, By the way, my words, not only will one of you betray me, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, It is written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, and they have never heard this part, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter is following along and he's thinking, enough of this negative talk, enough of this bad news, enough about death, enough about arrest and betrayal. There's no way we're going to let, uh, let any of this happen. Because if God is with you and if you're the Son of God, then is, this isn't how the story goes. There is more certainty, there's more faith, there's more miracles, there's more activity. But in verse 29, Peter says, Even if all fall away, I will not. That's how the story is supposed to go. Even if everyone abandons you, I'm not going to fall away. I'll stick with you through, the, through to the end. And later that same man, with all of his faith, would listen to a young girl accuse him of being one of Jesus' followers and he would deny him three times. Now, here's my question for you and for me as we move into this series and as we continue to experience extraordinary uncertainty in our families, in our jobs, in our businesses, with our children, with our Salvation Army, with our church, with our leadership, with our economy, with our retirement, with our future, with all the uncertainty. Here's the question. Can you trust God? 
Can you maintain in God, faith in God when there is no evidence of His activity in your life? Can you continue to embrace faith in God when there is seemingly no evidence of His activity anywhere? Your answer to that question will determine your response to this continual and continuing uncertainty. Your answer to that question, my answer to that question will determine our response to uncertainty in our lives. The strange thing is, and here's the dilemma, and for three weeks, we just want to keep pointing to this because it's so important. Imagine if you were to go to those disciples, those men who gathered at that table in that upper room months later and ask them the question, guys, when was the darkest moment as you followed Jesus? When was it darkest? When did you have the least amount of hope? When did you begin to wonder, did we make a mistake in following Him? Maybe we've wasted our lives. When was the darkest moment? I believe they might have said to you, well, when we gathered around that dinner table and realised things aren't going to get better. And when we, it's when we gathered around that table and, and He promised us, in fact, things would get worse. And not only that one of us would betray Him, but that all of us would fall away within hours. And all of us had fallen away and we saw Him arrested and we saw Him tried and we saw Him die. It was in those hours that we thought, God isn't up to anything here. But then if we asked when in your time with Jesus do you think God was doing His greatest work? Was it when He was healing the lame guy? What about healing that blind guy? That was pretty amazing. Or maybe it was standing outside the tomb of Lazarus when he'd been in there dead, literally four stinking days and he comes out of the tomb. Was that the time where you saw God's presence with you the most? When was God doing the most? Now, I, I think they would have said, you know, it was those same hours when it seemed for us that He was doing the least. Those very same hours when it seemed like He was absent, when He was missing, those darkest, darkest hours. That, in fact, is when God was doing His greatest work. And in those darkest hours, when it seemed like He was completely inactive, He was actually most active because those darkest hours were the epicentre of the salvation of mankind. These would be the hours that for literally thousands of years, people all over the world would look back to and rejoice in God's goodness and His grace. But if you'd asked them in the moment, I think they would have said, game over, we've wasted our lives. Now, this is a difficult message for us, but, but for many of us, that's our experience. That God seems to take broken things and do His most amazing work. That God seems to take hopeless situations and show up in a way, not the way we would choose because we would never allow things to get as bad and oftentimes, as oftentimes they get. But this is God's way. The greatest things begin in the biggest messes. The most amazing works of God generally are launched at a time of personal or national brokenness. This is what God does. So will we maintain faith when we cannot see His hand? as our faith begins to stutter, as our faith begins to shake a little bit and as our faith begins to waver and we begin to look to the left and right, we begin to look at the circumstances around us and doubt, God, now more than ever, where are you? Well, actually, now more than ever, God's Word is the place to go because all of these stories and all of these words and the story of our salvation was birthed at a time of extraordinary darkness and extraordinary uncertainty. You say, that's cool and even a little bit inspirational, but that's not going to help me get a job and that's not going to help me pay the bills. That's not going to change anything tomorrow. That doesn't make me well. And you're right. This is a struggle for me at present too. You know, as a church leader, this season has been incredibly difficult as it has for many of us. 
And as we talk to other church leaders, I find a little bit of comfort in knowing that I'm not alone. It's hard. It's challenging in protecting our church members, in trying to stop our churches from going belly up financially. We've been working long hours, making more decisions, expending more emotional energy than any time in ministry for. So like you, we are tired physically, tired of the unknown, of not being able to plan for the future. This season has been so uncertain and I long for certainty. But here's what I know. And this is our message for me and hopefully for you today. Although that idea, that insight, that truth about Scripture doesn't change anything about our circumstances, here's what it does do. It allows us to embrace uncertainty with the certainty of knowing that God is still in control. Did you get that? It allows us to embrace uncertainty with the certainty of knowing that God is still in control. Although life is uncertain, family, the economy, the world seems to be uncertain, God is not uncertain. He still has the whole world in His hands. And this knowledge and embracing it, even if it's just with our fingernails holding on to the tip of it, it keeps us from making decisions that even further complicate the difficulties we are facing. And lives are complicated. Some of you are dealing with illness, with medical treatments that are very restrictive to the full life that you want, with kids you love who are struggling with their mental health, with unemployment. Life is uncertain, but God is not. We can, as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, discover that there is a way to have peace even in the midst of this storm. We can keep an eye out for the activity of God that may take us by surprise, as it often took the characters of Scripture by surprise. So, Hang on to it and embrace the simple truth that even though life is uncertain, God is not uncertain. He still has the whole world. He still has your entire world in His hands. God is still in control. God is still on His throne. God is still a God we can worship with abandon. And God is a God who can be trusted and who works through broken things and difficult times to do His greatest work. I'm believing that for you and for me today.